0: try and say a few general things that I hope will be helpful and also try to uh, finish touching on the rest of the nodes, the rest of the aspects that we haven't touched on. Um, And time is limited uh, so there will be a, a brief touching on I don't know if you've noticed something uh, about practice in general, whatever the practice. If you've been in, a, in an environment, in a climate, in a community of practice on retreat or off-retreat where some particular uh, practice or quality is emphasized, mindfulness, metta, focus of mind, ability to stay with the breath, or whatever it is, uh, or soulfulness, and what can easily happen is through the repeated emphasis on that particular quality, which is a lovely and important quality, whatever it is, then the self-judging tends to construct itself in relationship to how I am doing and how I think other people are doing in relation to that quality. Right? (coughs) Same with soulfulness. (coughs) Um, So this is is really, really um, important to to just know the sort of wily patterns of inner critic, self-judgment. It's a dependent arising If we were here emphasizing something else, it would construct itself in relation to that quality. Um, So this can happen in in relation to anything. Um, Soulfulness, soul-making, the sensing with soul comes and goes. We've said this. It really comes and goes. And it comes and goes dependent on condition. Inner, outer, past, also. Our conditioning, the way we have been formed and cast in all kinds of ways, all levels of our being, mentally, emotionally, energetically, relationally, all that feeds into what happens in this moment, or what can happen. Uh, Inner, outer, past and present, all those conditions... We, we would see this if we if this was, let's say, a jhana retreat. At some point, uh, it would occur to us, oh, a jhana arises when the conditions are there. It's less something to judge oneself about. Um, so, we can sometimes put too much pressure on ourselves to have experiences of soulfulness and to be sensing with soul all the time or, or this or that, um, can, can there be a kind of attitude, again, somewhere in the middle way between uh, an over-pressuring or an over-forcing for something um, and uh, kind of not, not taking care of the conditions that we can take care of, not nourishing, not feeding in those conditions, um, soulful. In our culture, soul soul making is is unfortunately not a, a habit for us. We don't. Um, we might have that experience, but we don't tend to sense with soul uh, by default, unless it's supported by listening, by reading, by conditions, by practicing, by attention to the kind of things that we're talking about. So there's this kind of balance. Something needs nourishing and uh, practicing, taking care of all the different conditions. And I can't force it. I can't pressure it. I can't. Soulfulness on demand is not really possible. So related to that, again, I just want to emphasize that what we're doing here. We're talking a lot about imaginal practice and sensing the soul, etc., but it's within a larger context of this larger palette. Uh, you know what palette is like a painter, yeah? Different colours, different kinds of practices, all of which kind of help uh, nourish the being, but also nourish the sensing soul. So imaginal practice sits alongside gathering the nourishment in the energy body and the harmonisation, the well-being. It sits. It's alongside taking care of my heart and the woundedness or the pain that comes and goes there. It sits alongside metta practice and emptiness practices and uh, working with desire and letting go. Yeah. Letting go of desire, dropping whatever involvement. All, all of these are part of the, the colors of our practice palette, the colors of our artists. creation toolkit. So you can really think about moving fluidly and kind of balancing between these practices, yeah, different practices, really important. Uh, the palette, yeah, the palette of practice, a palette can become a palace, a palace, a house of soul-making, hath many mansions. Um, and you know, sometimes when my own retreats, and you know, I've got a week, and I've really got it. Okay, let me. Uh, I want something to happen this week. These are teachings to take away. Everything we're talking about is is something to kind of digest, rather than trying to pressure an expe- some kind of experience arising for the week. Yeah. So it's take take away. Um. soulfulness soul making sensing the soul arises like all things dependent on a whole host of conditions coming together in the moment influences from past present inner and outer and it happens uh, not in a linear way not in a smooth way in other words what we experience is some kind of opening in you know, a sensing the soul or some kind of sense of soul making an inherent intrinsic to that process of soul making, or that sense of soul making, is this expansion that we talked about—the the vision, the senses are expanded in some way or another. The energy, the the mind, the sense of um, what is perceived, etc., uh, the ideas. And uh, and then there's then what happens, or or that alternates with periods where it, there is no soul making. Or it doesn't feel very somatic. Something is uh, just not being fed into the conditions, or we meet some kind of um, limit or block. So this could be ideational. We talk, Catherine, we both talked about the Eros Psyche Logos dynamics. Sometimes there's an idea. Sometimes we're not even conscious of the assumptions we have about ourselves, about what we're sensing about reality, about all kinds of things, about path, about liberation, about whatever it is, these assumptions exist usually kind of, at best, semi-consciously in the psyche, and they form kinds of limits or walls. At some point, the soul-making bumps into them, but there can be other kinds of walls. There can be uh, or limits that, we, that pr- kind of lock the soul-making for a time being. Um, for instance, uh, there may be some kind of block or limit in the way, in, in how, uh, how m- much the libido, the life force, is allowed to move in the being and flow and open things up. And sometimes, for all kinds of reasons, um, the, the, the flow of the life force is blocked in our life or blocked in certain areas. It could be just an energetic thing, or just in terms of our enthusiasm. Our love, something arises and it quickly gets quelled or shut down. Sometimes it's so quick that we, we just have an instant, a, a flicker of liveliness, and then something gets shut down. That can be energetic, it can be psychic, it can be all kinds of things. Well, sometimes is, and so there's, uh, the, or, or sometimes in relation to the eros, that we're a little bit suspicious of that much eros, and especially if it's sexual. And, and that suspicion or that prevention of the flow of eros and the fire of eros also forms a kind of limit, hopefully temporarily. Um, or, or, or the psyche can be blocked in the sense of the images we have. We're fixated on certain images. So all, all this is very delicate and it needs a lot of care, a lot of discernment, so we talked a bit about duty, quite a lot about duty yesterday in the Q&A, and that um, we can have the, 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 the uh, duty of, of an image that goes with an image, uh, the duty of the image. But there's also, we could have, for instance, the image of duty. So this node, for some people, it's quite, which I'll talk about just briefly now and a little bit more later. Um, uh, the image of anything that could be soul making that image of that thing might be locked so perhaps from our past and again for all kinds of reasons the notion of duty is or or any other notion or the image of relationship or the image of self or some image of uh, that I associate with my history and it's got locked Mm. (coughs) so the the image, the psyche then is, is not allowed to expand. So what happens in, in, the, in the life of soul-making is that there are periods, long or short, where there's different kinds of, we could say, walls that are met. Lock, lock, lock. So we don't expect this kind of just incredibly smooth, uh, kind of endless, endless opening of soul-making. It, it has this kind of stopping, starting, stuttering, coming and going rhythm to it. You understand? Really natural, really important. The whole shebang is what we're interested in, the whole picture. And as I said, sometimes those those walls, those uh, blocks, are just shattered through. They're just broken in what can sometimes feel very dramatic, but also quite difficult, what I call the breaking of the vessel, borrowing Kabbalistic terms, a term. And sometimes it's just very gradual, something stretched, and sometimes... We're, we're, we're locked and we don't even realize we're locked and it's going on. So all this is, is uh, interesting to us and to be expected rather than not having, you know, any soul-making today or it feels flat or whatever. The question is, what, what, what is there and what can I work with and what can I become aware of? And to expect that, that kind of pattern. Okay, so let's let's, um, just visit a few nodes. Um, I think we're on 23, um, which is the fullness of intention. So, again, to think of these as really, rather than on-off switches, um, each node is perhaps a sense of, something that can be deepened or filled out, become richer in meaning. And as as that happens, we can say the experience becomes more genuinely imaginal, something like that, or fully imaginal. So it's very natural as human beings, and also as suffering human beings, um, who want to grow, who want to develop in certain ways that we see this quality is is lacking in me, or... I, I miss this in my life. Um, it's very natural to want to appropriate any practice for the sake of that self-development and for the sake of that also of that easing of dukkhas. Of course it, it, it's normal. And so it's, I think what we're saying is not that that shouldn't happen. Of course it's going to happen and it's healthy and it's normal. But at some point there is, that, that one, maybe you've had this sense already, y- you can kind of glimpse a bigger vision of intention, a bigger possibility, that somehow in this image, or with this image, with this sensing the soul, with this practice, what I'm wanting, more than this self-development, more even than just the ending of this dukkha that I'm feeling right now, or the development of this pattern, of that quality or whatever, is I I want soul-making that becomes the bigger uh, the bigger bow the thing the bigger vision of serving the bigger reason of why we're doing this I think I think that's quite a rare thing so again it's going to come and go and you can get glimpses of this what is it to practice for the sake of soul what is it to to engage in, in, in one's meditative work and one's investigations in other language for the sake of the divine, doing it for God, not just for me. What does that even mean? It's one of those concepts that can just, like all of these, there's, there's no end to this this idea. Also what's wrapped up in that is sometimes, you know, sometimes, and I think, maybe all of you have tasted this, otherwise you wouldn't be here, is that this work, well, these kind of practices, they can be very thrilling at times. Yeah? And, uh, at times. And, um, and sometimes we, we find our vision of what soul-making is getting a little smaller, and we're just chasing that sense of vitality, or that sense of connection, or that sense of thrill. Again, very normal, very human, but soul making involves everything. Sometimes, for instance, uh, we, you know, the soul knows that it wants, as Catherine said yesterday, to fall in love with logos, to fall in love with ideas. Are they being left out of my of my whole vision of what soul making is? I want the whole. The soul wants everything. It wants everything to be touched and involved and drawn in, and Contaminated and infused with soul-making. So the fullness of intention also means I'm not just up, I. I love it when that flow of vitality comes and the energy, or I love the love, or whatever. But it's the whole. The whole. It's the possibility. But again, sometimes you can't force this so much as you might notice this at times, where you might just gently remind yourself of the possibility, and then something opens up more more imaginable, so to speak. Uh, the 24th node is Duty, and uh, we talked quite a lot about that in the Q&A. So, um, <laughs> It's interesting again if we if we think about um, connecting nodes with each other so there might be a sense of duty in relation to an image uh, that it seems to communicate to me or hand me this sense of the possibility of picking up and engaging and assenting to the possibility the invitation not the forcing the invitation to assent to some kind of sense of duty and part of my job is discerning what that if we pair that duty with, um, for instance, the node of divinity, then it has a certain flavor to it. If I pair the node of duty with the, no- the node of creation discovery and emphasize the creation, then it, 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 it uh, modifies the, the relationship, the other one, the connection we've made with divinity. Do you see? Because oftentimes with divinity... What tends to happen for human beings is it gets very rarefied and very kind of solidified. Does this make sense? Could you, could you repeat that? Yeah. So um, duty, duty is a loaded concept. Right. For many people, um, it's uh, it's not an it's not an easy one in our culture. Um, uh, there's probably historical and social reasons for that. Um, so so sometimes people can hear the word duty and it's a bit like, it's, it's, now there were 27, uh, there were 28, but I only seem to remember 27. (laughs) And uh, that could happen with any of them. Um, Sometimes, some people just relate to it completely. Fine. So, um, so what I was, uh, trying to say was that there, we can think of duty on its own, and then we bring our history to that. As I said earlier, we bring already an image of what duty is. And I might have got that image from who knows where. And that can be constraining. If I connect nodes, and I, I, I remember, oh, divinity, then in relation to the notion of divinity, my sense of duty can get very hard, and that's where we talked about that fundamentalist <coughs> terrorist. Uh, kind of, you know, It's all very hard and rarefied sometimes. If I connect the node of duty with the node of creation discovery, then the whole sense of duty becomes less rarefied because it's got that element of like, you know, I'm participating in the creation of this duty. It's not just some absolute objective truth. Yes? So there's a way that these, the kind of, not just the nodes, but also the interrelationship with nodes, as I said, sometimes they are aspects of each other and sometimes they kind of balance each other. Um, I'm not sure what else to say about duty right now. We talked about it a lot. I think I'll leave it. Um, Related to duty, actually, one, uh, duty could be seen as an aspect of the next node, which is meaningfulness. This is 25, meaningfulness. So I use that word. I hope I'm using the word correctly in English. Meaningfulness means more than meaning. In, in other words, an, an image or a sense that we have um, might mean something to us. Um, for, example, uh, for example, it, it might um, re- reflect something in my life. Uh, or it has this meaning or that meaning. Um, or reflect something in my history, or this duty, or this teaching. It might give me a teaching. It's telling me something about how I tend to approach something. It might be telling me something about how I tend to approach practice, and it gives me a teaching about how I might do things differently, for instance. And but that teaching is only is is one meaning. That the image is pregnant with an infinite possibility of meanings, just, just. and some of those meanings are not discernible yet. So this again relates to the beyondness and the kind of hazy edges. Sometimes very clear. Yes, I can. I recognize that meaning. I recognize that teaching. I recognize whatever it is, and then I have a kind of vague sense of other meanings. And, and the knowledge, or the, or the even vaguer sense, of just a, a kind of um, inexhaustible richness of meaningfulness. Um, this relates to the 26th uh, node, uh, infinite echoing and mirroring, which I think, again, we touched on uh, yesterday. Um, so... This one is easier, I think, to discern with uh, an image, with an intrapsychic image, than it is with sensing soul. But there's, there's, there can be a sense to be noticed um, that this image echoes my life. I see that uh, lonely, solitary wanderer image that I, I really a lot was very, very important to me, and I could see how that image echoed echoed my life in many ways, but I could also see that my life echoed the image. Do you understand? There's, there's a shaping each way, and some of those echoings are kind of obvious, but again, there's this kind of uh, haze of dimly perceived echoes and, and mirrorings discernible. I don't quite know what they are, but I just sense this kind of depth <coughs> of echoing, a bit like when you, I've never been to the Grand Canyon, but if you shout there, I assume it just echoes, and I don't know, but uh, <laughs> if, it, if it's one of those echoes where you don't really hear the end of the echo, like it just, it just, is that how it is? Yeah? <laughs> anyway. Um, the, the kind of echoing where it just, it, it shades into infinity. Yes? that um, There can be that kind of sense. Uh, with an image, it's it's echo- my life and this image, and my 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 story, and my pain, and my duty, and my calling, and my passions. There's this e- echoing uh, that that happens. Again, sometimes we get locked into this. is related to causality. My life causes this image. The events in my life, the history, what I've been uh, exposed to, what I've been subject to, creates the image the representation. You can also view it the other way, and there's, a, and there's a possibility of just seeing two mirrors facing each other. Again, you get this infinite kind of mirroring. Where does it stop? You can't actually discern the end of it, but there are these discrete, connected infinite mirrors. So... I mentioned that lonely wanderer image, Uh, and I I can see there's there's kind of relatively obvious ways that has been mirrored in my life, and that my life mirrors that. And there's all these subtler ways. Um, The image related to that of the outcast. Sometimes uh, we identify too much with something in our life. I am the outcast. I feel like the outcast. I am the lonely one. I am the lonely wanderer. I am broken. I am the broken one. Uh, This infinite echoing also implies this separation. I am that and I am not that. It is other than me. When, When we have that, uh, separation, but echoing, but interconnected echoing, there's more possibility for it to become imaginal. Because I'm not just stuck in, I am broken. I, I am outcast. I am the one on the edge. I, uh, Oftentimes it was a kind of, not a meta image, but a, a sort of, a, 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 in the beginnings of my trying to experiment with imaginal practice, I used to have an image of um, being in a, a prison cell. Uh, like down in a dungeon somewhere and left there alone, and uh, it was actually lovely, um, and it became for a while a kind of fertile place where images would come into that space. But there was something in me and in my life that kind of—I was going to say identified, but it's not—I could feel that echoing. There's something about being a solitary prisoner in some kind of dungeon that I j- that just echoes something. And yet it's a very fertile... It's a, it's a prison. But there's a beauty born in that prison. And there's uh, fertility and, and uh, richness in the darkness there. Um, I'm not... Then, th- because they're separate, and there's this echoing of, of two things, the image and the life. There's, there is the possibility of fertility. If I'm just identifying with being imprisoned or outcast or... The lonely one, or broken, or the sacrificed one, or the victim, or whatever it is. The the identification doesn't allow the thing to become rich in the imaginary. These images of ancestors, they are other and I am them. I am them and I am not them. I am in the lineage of those ancestors and I am not in the lineage of those ancestors. I am heir to them and I am not heir to them. There's something in this together, connected but separate, echoing, mirroring, and the mystery of that in the infinity of it. And again, a lot of this is subtle, and so it's not it's it's more like we just sense that possibility. might be quite dim, but that can be enough to ignite that node and allow the thing to become more imagined. It's a little trickier to see uh, with sensing the soul, but actually a couple of people even on this retreat have alluded to it and might be um, again relating to a tree or sensing the tree with, with soul or whatever it is. And there's a way that my energy body experience and my psychic experience starts to mirror that of the tree. I come into some kind of resonance also of sensibility and of energy body texture the the solidity the 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 way that the tree knows is echoed in my being right. yeah possibilities there. 27th has to do with values or rather the that when we are sensing the soul when there's an image there's value what is valuable is implicit in that Um, now that's also part of meaningfulness in other words this pregnancy of meaningfulness uh, includes values so beauty is also a value but goodness or nobility that's a value and it's part of the meaningfulness of when we sense with soul. Does it make sense? So, so I'm sensing something with soul, and there is a, a mix of uh, values present for me in that experience. So again, sometimes just noticing that. We could say a whole lot more about that. I, I don't want to uh, right now. Um, but sometimes just noticing it can ignite something. Sometimes um, you might bring to mind someone you know and love, or something you know and love, and bring them to mind, and steady the attention on them, and open the energy body, and tune in to uh, what you value there. And, and that can uh, begin to open up, make that thing, that person, that being, uh, let it become image for you, become imaginal. There is also the possibility so we touched on um, that the person who <coughs> wrote the note and mentioned this um, Aslan from the Lion, the Witch and Wardrobe, this uh, sort of lion king, really, and somehow meditating, uh, finding themselves in a in a kind of <coughs> quasi Jhanic space that um, that was imbued with the particular character of this Aslam without the form of Aslam. Um, there's an image, we could say that's still an image, without the clear form, it's still an image. But it's possible It's possible at times to even ca- extract the value from an image. So, I wouldn't do too much of this, but for instance, within like, one of the qualities of Aslan, I would say, and maybe the person would say differently, but that's just for the sake of for the sake of example. There's nobility. Aslan's a very noble being. And so nobility is a quality or a value. And it might be that he, here I'm meditating on Aslan and it's a form and there's the sense of the lion. And then that may go to some kind of um, space of and within that one may tune into the nobility and then it's like the essence of that value one can meditate on that I really wouldn't recommend I'm just mentioning it as a possibility but it's mostly not what we're doing now. or or beauty this is this is interesting because um, one, one might be sensing something with soul or it might be an internal image and it feels very beautiful maybe it's connected to a feeling <coughs> and hearing music and actually, it came out of some Came out of some dukkha uh, in relation to music, and no longer being a musician, etc. And, and and then I heard, I let the mind spin this music, create music, sort of improvising music, and 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 let myself be be touched by that music. And then then there's a possibility of, oh, there's beauty here. And I'm just mentioning this as a possibility. It's possible to sort of extract the essence or let the essence of beauty extract out of that, but it's no longer even tied to a form. The music has faded and it's just kind of pure beauty. And just mentioning it as a, as a possibility without wanting to kind of, uh, suggest that too much as, as a, as a line. And the last one is participation, the 28th node. Um, In a way, in a way, sometimes I think this is the hard. This feels like the hardest one for me to articulate, or one of the hardest ones. And I have a real sense of it as being something again that can just get deeper and deeper. The sense of what that means. So partly, uh, you know, with the emphasis on ways of looking and fabrication, we can get very much the idea and and the insight. Actually, the emphasis on the insight, but. What we perceive, what we sense, depends on the subject's way of looking, depends on the way of looking. To me, the word participation kind of fills it out with the other side. Uh, It doesn't neglect. There's some sense of um, an objective pole there, some kind of objective pole of value, of sacredness, of reality. So it kind of holds both. We're participants, a bit like create, discover. We're participating in both sides of it. Uh, to me, also that word participation it preserves my autonomy. If you think about the word, I participate in this, or this participates in that. It preserves the autonomy of the participator in in that which is being participated in. So it preserves a sense of autonomy with also a sense of non-separateness. Yeah. Um, which, to, to me, is very valuable in in giving a sense of the sense we have when we're sensing itself. So I participate. I have a sense of participating in that archetypal image of the lonely wanderer. It's something... Again, it's me, and it's not me. It's something I mysteriously participate in. This thing that is bigger than me somehow, holier and bigger. I'm, I'm somehow my life somehow is participating in this image, or the outcast, or the lineage of ancestry. I right? we participate in 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 an archetype in in the, in the divine archetype. We participate in the mundus imaginalis, Catherine referred to the world of of the imaginal. We we feel that we're participating in that. We're not an outside observer. We're somehow, our life and our perceptions, participating in all that. As the soul-making really uh, starts (coughs) involving every element of our being, also our eros, my desire, my sexuality, my eros in the the much broader sense than sexuality, we start to feel that as not just mine. Whose is it? We start to sense this eros that I'm experiencing right now is participating in the divine eros, the eros of the Buddha nature. The whole other sense of one's existence in participation, in, in a mystery of participation. We, our soul-making is participating, is necessary to, is adding to the soul-making of the world, the soul-making of the world soul, the anima mundi, the soul-making of the Buddha nature, the soul-making of the primordial Buddhas, the soul-making of God. It's not just me doing my soul-making, there's a sense of something, some much vaster, more unfathomably mysterious participation. you to view all this as a journey, as an adventure, rather than a demand, rather than a list of what should be happening or evident right now already, invitation to an adventure. possibility in the coming and going of things in the coming and going of soulfulness whatever is arising right now is here today is really, really fine and part of that journey okay I think will stop there. That's 28 there. Um, touched on at least. Okay. Let's have some quiet. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.